You're listening to Geek Cred, episode 43, featuring Jonathan Strickland. Hello, Internet. I'm Steve Rickyberg. Welcome to Geek Cred, the podcast that delivers in-depth, behind-the-scenes interviews to give you the inside scoop on everything geek, from tech to sci-fi to games. On this episode, I am pleased to welcome Jonathan Strickland, senior writer at HowStuffWorks.com and co-host of Tech Stuff. How are you? I am really well, Steve. Thanks for asking. So to start off, tell me a little bit about yourself and about your background. Who exactly is the man, the myth, the legend, Jonathan Strickland? Yeah, I, I know your listeners are dying to, to get the real inside scoop on on the mystique that is Jonathan Strickland. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me demystify that for you. It's actually a pretty, pretty simple story. Uh, I'm the son of two educators. Both of my parents are teachers and have been ever since I was uh, born. So I grew up in a household that stressed the importance of reading and education. On top of that, my father became a science fiction author. He actually published his first short story when he was 17. Wow. Uh, and then took a... Well, around an almost 30-year break. Um, and then got back into it. Actually, not quite 30 years. But in the early ni- 1980s, he started publishing. He started writing stories and getting published again uh, in mostly short stories and then moved on to novels. So I grew up in a household that, again, really stressed the importance of learning. It also was kind of a unique childhood. My dad uh, writes science fiction and fantasy. So he started to get involved in the science fiction convention circuit uh, right when I was probably around eight or nine years old. So I started going to these conventions around the time that, uh, you know, Star Wars was huge at that point, not to date myself too much, but uh, Star Trek was starting to get a resurgence with the movies coming out, uh, the original series, mind you. Next Generation was still a few years away. And... uh, it was a good time to be a science fiction fan. And so I got to meet all these different science fiction writers and actors. And that really shaped my personality quite a bit. I became really interested in the world of science fiction. Although, truth be told, I hadn't read a lot of it. I was more of a fantasy fan than a science fiction fan as a kid. Uh, grew up just. Decided to major in English literature when I was in college. I actually had a focus on Shakespeare, and I can still bust out a monologue or two if need be. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, particularly good with Polonius from Hamlet, but uh, I can do a hot spur from King Henry the Fourth, Part One, if I if I absolutely have to. And uh, when I graduated, I started looking around for a job. It's funny because for the first eight years of my professional life, I worked in uh, consulting firms which was, uh, it was work that I could do, but I wasn't particularly enthusiastic about it. It wasn't that the work was bad. It just wasn't what I was passionate about. And then the opportunity came up for me to interview with this company called How Stuff Works that was dedicated to demystifying the universe and explaining how things actually work and everything from the technological to the philosophical. And this mission really interested me. And I thought, there's no way I'm ever going to be a part of something that cool. But (laughs) I applied, I interviewed, they hired me. A year later, I became a senior writer. Uh, Around that same time is when I started the Tech Stuff podcast with my co-host, Chris Ballette. And since then, it's just been 
you know, every day I come into work and I learn something new, which again, as someone who was from a background where learning was so important, that's exactly where I, right. I wanted to be. So I really lucked out. Yeah. So I've gotten the chance to know you a little bit personally at DragonCon. And what you mentioned, I find that so fascinating. Like you said, growing up the son of, of a science fiction writer and attending these conventions, what, what's that like having, doing that now as an adult and having done that as a kid and you know, rubbing shoulders with some of these sci-fi legends? Uh, wow, good question. Um, okay, I'll, I'll start with what it's like now. Now it's like I have to pay my way in because I'm no longer cute <laughs> okay. enough yeah. to slip in under my dad's name. Uh, that's the problem. You know, when you're young and you're a member of the the entourage, you just you just get right in. That was the thing. As a kid, I didn't realize mm -hmm. how how unique this was or how awesome it was. I just had no frame of reference because to me, that was just my childhood. Uh, and I knew that my parents had all these really cool, eccentric, crazy, wacky friends, and they were awesome people, and I loved hanging out with them, but I wasn't really cognizant of exactly where they fit in the space mm, of yeah. science fiction. To give you an idea of some of the people I hung out with when I was a kid, um, Mercedes Lackey, Anne McCaffrey, Orson Scott Card, uh, so Piers Anthony, Robert Asprin, there's just these names that are really big in science fiction yeah. and fantasy. And as a kid, again, I just didn't have any clue. Mm -hmm. uh, although I, I loved hanging out with them because they were interested in the same things I was interested in. So that was great. It was like having a bunch of kids, but they were all hmm. adult sizes. Right. Uh, and that was a, a fantastic way to have a childhood. As for attending the conventions, back when I was a, a kid, it meant that I got to go to all the cool parties. Uh, <laughs> I, I, my favorite one that I ever attended was a party that was being thrown by Gary Gygax, one of the mm. co-founders of D&D, Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, I got to go up and talk to Richard Garriott, also known as Lord British, nice. the guy who created the Ultima series. This was before he had gone into outer space and been on the International Space Station. Mm -hmm. uh, but I actually sort of became kind of pen pals with Richard Garriott. And uh, and that ended up being a really interesting friendship. Whenever we would run into each other at conventions, we would talk about the development of the Ultima series and his other interests. And I once played a game of Dungeons and Dragons where he was the game master. So, nice. you know, neat, neat opportunities. Yeah, definitely. So you were an unabashed geek, even, you know, growing up. Oh, when I was four years old, apparently I drew a picture with crayon of a little green figure holding a purple uh, circle and the caption on the picture, apparently I drew this in like preschool. The caption on the picture was Gollum with the ring. <laughs> my, nice. my parents gave that to me for my 30th birthday. So yeah, uh, geek for life. And, and you even have a very geeky tattoo, if you want to mention that. This is true. On my left arm, just above my bicep, I have the, uh, the inscription from the one ring. So to go full circle, to keep the ring metaphor going, I have the uh, one ring to rule them all uh, Elvish script on my left arm. Now that, that is about as geeky as you can get. That was, a, that was an anniversary gift from my wife. So... It, run, it runs in the family, both uh, by blood and by marriage. I was going to say, that says, some, says something very awesome about your wife. <laughs> my wife. My wife is probably the most awesome person I know. So, yeah. So, taking it back to more recently, tell me a little bit more about what exactly you do at HowStuffWorks.com. Sure. Uh, now, 
it's it's changed a little bit since I started, but the basic premise is still there. What we do is we get an article assignment, and in that article assignment, we have to explain how that one subject works uh, for a typical how blank works article. We actually have a couple of different article styles, but that's our main one. And we will get that assignment at the end of one week. The next week, we have the time to really research, um, explore the topic, talk to some experts, get all that information down. And then by the end of that week, we turn in a draft of that article to our editors. Each writer has an editor that they uh, they work with. And we all have very strong writer-editor relationships. My editor is also my co-host, Chris Paulette. He's my editor. So uh, we've been working together for a few years now, and it works really, really well. And um, so what we'll do is we'll turn that that article into our editor. Uh, if the article needs some work or whatever, then it comes back to us. We do some adjustments. But eventually, it then gets published to the website, and we move on to our next article. It's kind of funny because as a writer, I'm always focused on my next assignment. So as soon as I finish something, I've started researching my next topic. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking back on the stuff I've just written. It's just it, I don't have the time to do that normally, mm. especially with the other duties that I have uh, that I, I see too as my role it's, uh, as senior writer. Um, so occasionally I forget that people read them. And, uh, <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of right. like, I guess it's kind of like if you do television, right? Like mm. if you do mm-hmm. live theater, you see the response from your audience immediately. But if you do TV or a podcast, even you put something out there and you're hoping right. that people find it and yeah. that they enjoy it. It could be but months or years. Yeah. Yeah. You may not have that feedback loop that immediately lets you know. Now, I know a lot of people read my articles. I know that as a fact, but you know, it doesn't really register until you start getting emails where people write in. And they say, hey, I read this article that you wrote and it was really, really well done. And I really understand the subject now. Those are the best emails to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, my favorite one so far, although I think it, it's also one that I, it kind of took me back for a second. Uh, I wrote How Road Rage Works, <laughs> which, you know, that's not, that's not technically what I normally focus on. Mm-hmm. I focus usually on, on technology, computers, gadgets, uh, the social impact of technology. But in this case, I got the assignment on how road rage works, and I was really interested in it. And I wrote the article, and I got an email back from a listener who said, I firmly believe your article will help save lives. And when I'm writing it, I'm not thinking that, hmm. right? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to explain it and to really get a grasp on it. But when it when someone says something like that to you, it really, you take a moment and you just say, wow, what I'm doing really matters. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I knew that the whole time, but when someone says that, it really, really takes effect. Right. Now, this has got to be kind of intimidating almost. I mean, trying to write an article to be kind of be the definitive resource on these topics and do it for a variety of ec- levels of expertise, especially when you're dealing with something like, you know, how do quantum computers work? I mean, that's heavy yeah. stuff. Yeah, it can be. It can definitely, uh, you know, and when we run into really tough topics, one thing that helps is getting to talk to experts. Uh, One of my favorite articles that I got to tackle was actually one of my earlier ones. It was called How Plasma Waste Converters Work. And this is all about technology that uses plasma, plasma furnaces to liquefy or gasify waste Hmm. so that you end up with uh, gases that can, in theory at least, be used as fuel and the waste ends up being this inert, uh, almost obsidian-like material. And the idea is that we could use these sort of facilities to reduce the 
landfill situation and to actually recycle waste as fuel. And it's a really interesting idea. And there are these facilities that exist out there in the world, but they're they're few and far between. There hasn't been a lot of, of investment in the technology. Well, I got to talk to an expert at Georgia Tech, which is just down the road from where we are here mm-hmm. at How Stuff Works, because we're based in Atlanta, right? So I just went down to Georgia Tech and got to talk to one of the world's experts on this technology. Nice. And he gave me a full, I think it was about two and a half hours of wow. a crash course in plasma waste converters. So... We have a lot of really cool opportunities. It also helps that we are so close to one of the world's leading technology uh, uh, universities. Mm, yeah. So, so have there been any geeky topics that you've kind of tried to sneak through, or ones that you were surprised that got approved or that you got assigned? Um. Wow. I've written so many. Uh, there, there have been some that I wanted to do, but we already had the articles on the site. So mm. things like how do lightsabers work was right. already there. Uh, the podcast actually gives us a lot of opportunity to tackle those kind of subjects. And we've got, like Chris and I have essentially complete freedom to tackle any topic we want. Uh, we keep it in technology because it is called tech stuff and it would be really weird if we went outside that. But no one's telling us what we can and can't talk about the articles we get assigned to us. So um, we can pitch articles and those will get added into the pipeline. But ultimately, those decisions are made further up the chain. So it's not like, you know, you just decide one week that you're going to write a specific article. I guess the one that I got assigned that would be, hmm, what would be the the one that surprised me the most? I, I, I suppose Area 51. Oh, I uh, I pitched Area 51. I said it would be fun to write an article on it. This was before we had the recent books that came out that really kind of dove into what Area 51 was all about, Mm -hmm. went into its history and uh, all the projects that came to light there. So I was working in a much more cloudy situation back then. Uh, uh, The article, uh, I guess I wrote the article maybe almost three years ago now. And uh, I was surprised that I, I... got the assignment, but I jumped at it. And that was one of the longest articles I've ever written just because I really wanted to do justice to the subject. And I didn't want to shy away from the the conspiracy theory angle at all. I knew I had to address mm-hmm. it because to leave it out just means people would say that I was part of the conspiracy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, because the, the lack of evidence is evidence in a, in a good conspiracy theory. So sure. I went in and I, I addressed that as well. And I dealt with that in as objective and critical thinking way as I possibly could. Uh, but that, that one, I was actually surprised. I didn't, when I pitched it, I was hoping I would get it, but I wasn't, I wasn't convinced that that would happen. Right. Now, like you mentioned, there can be a long gap between when you write an article and when you get some of that feedback. But have you been called out or corrected on any of the topics you've written on? I had uh, a Mr. Vinton Surf. Have you heard of this name? I believe I should, but I can't think off the top of my head right now. Okay, so let me tell you who Vinton Surf is before I tell you about the email I got from him. Uh, he was, first of all, let me say that Mr. Surf was incredibly respectful and very helpful and gave me way more information than uh, just a correction. But it was uh, some tweaks to an article. I'd written an article about ARPANET, now, ARPANET mm. is one of the precursors to the internet. Yep. It was where a lot of the internet protocols were first being built and used within a, a, a network, a computer network, to hook up a bunch of different computers together in a single system. Well, Vinton Cerf was one of the men responsible for building those protocols. 
he and a man named Robert Kahn together built the TCP IP protocols. So the stuff that the internet is based upon, he was responsible for that. Um, He also is now the chief evangelist at Google. And he goes around giving lectures about everything from uh, technology to the internet to uh, to social changes, uh, big, big ideas. Uh, I wrote an article about ARPANET and he wrote in to correct me on one or two minor little things, but he he did so in, I think, a two-page email. My goodness. Um, and again, it was very respectful and he was he was giving the, the, the corrections themselves were small, but he mm-hmm. was giving me a really long explanation of why they were necessary. So it was interesting to see from him. First of all, it was, it was really intimidating to know that someone so influential. Yeah. One of the fathers of of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. One of the fathers of the internet wrote to me and said, Hey, by the way, you said this and really it's this. And some of the, the information he gave me contradicted the information I got from interviews with Robert Kahn, which (laughs) then you're like, okay, well now, now this is like two of my grandfathers are each telling me a story and it's each, each one is a different version of it. And I don't know who to go with. (laughs) So, but that was, that was probably, that has to be the key. And that's the, that's the big one. You mentioned, you know, the two-page email and all the research you do. How do you synthesize that into a readable article? Because some of these are so much information out there. It's interesting. I think uh, I think it all depends upon the writer's style. There's some writers who will go out and they'll make a detailed outline for their article, and they'll they'll build it out that way. So they'll say, "All right, I want here's the narrative I want this article to tell. This is the journey I'm going to take the reader on, and this is the progression I need to go in in order for this to make sense." I'm a little more organic with my approach. Uh, what I'll do is I devour all the information I can at once. And I've got a brain like a sponge. It'll soak up information like crazy. Uh, although about two weeks after I've written the article, don't even bother asking <laughs> me because it's gone at that point. It's been, it's been, it's, it's random access memory, right? I'm just rewriting yeah. right over it with the article information for the next article. First in, first out. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So once I, I have uh, really read up on all the research, I then kind of formulate in my mind, like, all right, this is the progression that makes the most sense. Like in some cases, you want to start off with almost like a history lesson to kind of Mm -hmm. put it into perspective about why this is important. And then you go into maybe the features of whatever it is you're talking about. And then you would want to go into the details of how those features actually work. And, uh, And you begin to build on that complexity. With others, you just jump right into the complex part first because that's the part that's really interesting. And then you might end with a quick overview of the historical significance of whatever it is you're talking about. So it for me it just depends upon the article. I think mostly it just comes with practice. Mm. If you've once you've got a few articles under your belt, you start to get a feel for it. And How Stuff Works has a really really good way of ramping up writers when they first come on because uh, usually what we end up doing is we get an assignment that either is a rewrite of an older article or it's an update of an older article. So you've already got something to start mm. with. Mm-hmm. And then you can start building on that. And eventually you'll find your own voice. It harkens back to the overall how stuff works voice, but it is also your voice. So you're not locked into an article template that everyone has to follow, which is nice. So how did things change if they did for how stuff works when it was acquired by discovery? Mostly, well, we got bigger. Um, When I first started with how stuff works, I was one of two 
full-time staff writers. Wow. Uh, and the now we have many more writers uh, and we've got people from all over writing with us, which is great. Uh, so we write, we write a lot more content now than we ever did before. We write a lot more. There are a lot of other content types that we write now. Uh, back in the day, we used to write how blank works articles and we used to write something that we called the question of the day. And the question of the day article was just a one page tackle a topic and answer a question. And that was it. Uh, now we have a lot of other different article types and it, it ranging from everything from uh, uh, the, like top fives and top tens to uh, sort of other kind of random questions. Like one of the questions was, uh, can, can humans hear in space? And, uh, mm. you know, we know the answer to that, but I was explaining why right. humans can't hear in space and actually going into the physics of hearing. And that's the cool thing about how stuff works is that even with a question like that, you're going to get more than just a yes or no answer. You're going to get a real explanation of hmm. why the answer is whatever it is. And uh, on top of that, the other big change uh, are the podcasts. And the podcasts we started looking into before uh, Discovery acquired how stuff works, but they really started ramping up after that. Once we we felt that the the podcasts were starting to get some traction, uh, we really started looking into it. And 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 it, I have to give all the credit in the world to our editorial department. Our our bosses came down and said, "Listen, if you have an idea for a podcast, come to us, pitch it. We will listen to every single idea hmm. and give it full consideration." And that's why we have some of the great podcasts that are out there on uh, on the internet right now. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it seems like so often to get up some of this, you almost have to convince you know the powers that be. But if they're encouraging that kind of stuff, that's that's great. Yeah, they, we have always had a really great culture at How Stuff Works about innovation. And if you come up with an innovative idea and you can express it in a way that makes sense, then you know you're going to at least get a fair hearing. You know, you might not, it might not come to, to fruition depending upon what else is going on at the time, but you're not going to get dismissed out of hand either. Mm -hmm. So uh, now with the, the case of tech stuff, I should be clear, tech stuff was actually, we were approached uh, to do tech stuff. Um, it just made sense to have a technology podcast. It was it's a built-in audience. Right. Uh, the people who listen to podcasts tend to be tech savvy and interested in tech. So uh, that one was one of the early ones. That was one of the first three podcasts that How Stuff Works ever did. But a lot of the ones that followed us were podcasts that the the various writers and other members of the How Stuff Works staff have pitched. And, and I think it's great to have you know all these writers being able to hear hear it in their own voice on the podcasts. Yeah, yeah. It's that's. Definitely something that's interesting. You get to a, a sense for some of the personalities mm -hmm. that yeah. are here in the office. And it's funny because people will will ask me like, well, first, the biggest question I get is, do you know Josh and Chuck <laughs> uh, of stuff the you should infamous. know? And yes, yes, I know them. They started about a few months after I started. So uh, I am aware of their existence. Uh, they're great guys. Fantastic. Both of them are hilarious. Uh, and they get along with everybody as far as I know in the office. I've, I certainly enjoy hanging out with them. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the other thing. I, I've had people come up and say, do you know the people who have done uh, Stuff You Missed in History class? And I've known, of course, I've known all the hosts. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all part of the same department. So um, it's... And the, the voices you hear on the, the podcast, that's who we are. We're not... No one's putting on a character... Uh, for any of, with one possible exception, no one's putting on a character. <laughs> hmm. So 
you of course touched on it, but that was my next question. Tell me a little bit more about tech stuff. Sure. Uh, the evolution of tech stuff was a lot of fun, really. I mean, I look back on it and I look at what it started as and what it is now. And uh, it hasn't, I won't say that the change has been dramatic. It's mostly been a change in, in basic format. When we started, you have to remember that when we started uh, Stuff You Should Know and Stuff You Missed in History Class were the only other two podcasts that How Stuff Works was doing besides uh, Brain Stuff, which had been around for a while and was almost sort of its own thing. Um, so this was one of the first three podcasts that we launched. And at the time, we weren't really sure about the uh, format we should take. We, we knew very little about it because we just hadn't tackled it before. So our first podcasts were at a five-minute limit. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to talk to me for five minutes, <laughs> but I probably just finished introducing myself right around four minutes, 55 seconds. <laughs> so there's not a lot of time to tackle a subject right. within those last five seconds. Uh, we, we discovered very quickly that five minutes was really, really tough to do. And then they said, all right, well, you know what? You can do 10, push it to 15 if you have to. So then we were going 10 to 15. And then eventually they stopped telling us how long to go. And they said, you know what? You should do it as long as, go as long as the topic needs to go. And we found, Chris and I have found that between 25 and 35 minutes is usually what we shoot for. That, that seems to be the right amount of time for our, our episodes in general, for us to get a good discussion on the topic. Sometimes it goes longer. Our Google Plus episode, I think, topped out at 51 minutes. So that's our longest one so far. Mm. But most of them were right in that range. But that was a that was a learning process to find out mm -hmm. that that time made sense to us. The lessons we really learned in our podcasts are ones I think that any podcaster can apply. Lesson number one was try to make sure you're, you can publish as regularly as possible because Definitely. it's hard to keep an audience if you don't. Definitely. Yeah. So we built up a vault of episodes. We actually, I think now we're only about a week and a half ahead because we've had some vacation time that really ate up a lot of our, our vault. So we are having to record extra episodes now to, to build that back up. But we want to have that vault there so that we can make sure we never miss an episode. And so far, over 300 episodes, we haven't skipped a day yet. That's impressive. Yeah, we we publish twice a week and we haven't missed a publication date so far. So, and I have huge props to our production department, who, without whom we we wouldn't be able to do the show. So that was one lesson: was regularly publish your podcast. Another lesson was that you know it takes some time for you to find that voice when you're using a when you're doing a podcast, mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's all right for you to take some time and learn that. And then once you once you figured out what that voice is, you just embrace it. Uh, now with me and Chris, it's just us being us. You know, we're both goofy guys. So we, our podcast is a little goofy and it's, uh, it's about technology. So that, that was easy because we didn't have to, you know, try and be something we're not. Mm -hmm. We're both interested in technology and we're both total doofuses. So that <laughs> helped. And we both love science fiction and, and music. So we make all these silly references throughout our show. And then we also learn to listen to our readers and our listeners. We invite our readers and listeners to submit topics all the time. And uh, we respond to those. So we get submissions. Google Plus was one, an example um, where we'll get people suggesting, hey, I want to know more about this subject. Can you guys do a podcast on it? And, you know, just by responding to that, by going out and, and doing that kind of stuff, you know that you're already speaking to your audience because they've already asked for that. So you don't have, you're not using guesswork 
to determine what your next topic's going to be. You already know what your next topic's going to be because people are asking for it, um, which is great. Because otherwise, uh, when we first started, no joke, we would record on a Friday morning, Thursday afternoon, Chris and I would be sitting down saying, uh, what are we going to talk about tomorrow? <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. But we got better about that. So you're more than a writer and a podcaster. I know you do some acting. So tell me about that. Yeah, I've done some acting. I, um, I, I like doing acting. It's one of my hobbies. So mm -hmm. I never really, I, I would say I'd never really thought about doing it in a professional level, except I have been paid for my acting. I would imagine that most people would want to pay me not to act, but uh, <laughs> there's, some, there's some masochists out there that apparently like watching a train wreck. Um, no, no, I'm actually, I'm not bad, but I, I definitely have a self-deprecating sense of humor about it because I've seen, I've been in plays with people who are legitimately amazing actors. And when I compare myself against them, I'm just thinking, wow, I, I got to make sure I, I don't uh, uh, steal focus because mm. this guy is doing some amazing work. I hear you. But um, yeah, so they, you know, I live in Atlanta. Atlanta's got a very vibrant uh, theater scene. It's mostly, it's not, not really community theater. It's the next stay, step up, but there's there are only a few big theaters in Atlanta, but there are a lot of medium and small theaters in Atlanta. I've worked with several of them. And um, I mean, like I said earlier, my major in college was English literature with a focus on Shakespeare. So I've always been interested in theater, especially from a literature point of view. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I've been performing theater ever since I was a kid. But uh, it's rare now that I actually have the time and energy to devote to a full stage performance. I will occasionally do an improv show. Uh, I do improv theater as well. I do some stuff with the Atlanta Radio Theater Company, which is dedicated to doing audio theater in the style of old time theater, but with uh, modern technology. So we have things like digital effects, mm -hmm. although we do still do some uh, old time Foley effects as well. Uh, and then I've done some stage work with some local theater productions. Um, it's, it, I, it's one of my loves. I still love being in front of a live audience and hearing that reaction. Yeah. It's, it's so different than sitting behind a microphone or uh, doing a video. You know, I've done several videos for How Stuff Works as well. And that's a lot of fun too. But without that immediate feedback, it's not quite the same thing as you would get on stage. Mm -hmm. So rapid fire, don't think too hard. Just give me your answer. Star okay. Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Dark side or light side? Dark side. <laughs> Mac or PC? Oh, PC. Uh, robots, pirates, or zombies? Oh, good one. Pirates. Uh, Marvel or DC? Oh, oh, wow. I'm going to have to go with DC. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? <laughs> easy that would be uh time control because every time i say something that makes me stick my foot in my mouth i could go back <laughs> and not do that that's that's definitely a new one would you use this to fight for good or would you use it for your own personal gain oh personal gain <laughs> i mean i'm talking about saving myself from embarrassing yeah. situations like I, I i'm not even talking about time control and the ability to go say back uh into like 1930s and prevent World War II. I'm talking about time control mm -hmm. where I could go back five seconds and not spill the coffee. <laughs> hey, I think everybody would love to have that ability, yep. even if it's just five seconds. That's it. So we are just about out of time. Jonathan, where's the best place to find out more about you and to keep up with what you're doing and how stuff works? 
Sure. Well, first of all, there's the website, HowStuffWorks.com, which is a fantastic website. No matter what you're interested in, I really do recommend you go and check it out. There are some uh, fantastic articles. We've got a lot of really talented writers on that site. If you want to follow Tech Stuff, there's the Tech Stuff podcast, which you can find on iTunes. There's also, if you go to, uh, there are plenty of RSS uh, catchers out there that have uh, tech stuff out there as well. Uh, we have an iPad app. We have an iPhone app. We have an Android app. And all of those have access to the podcast, not just tech stuff, but all How Stuff Works podcasts. You can follow tech stuff on Twitter. That's tech stuff HSW. And there's also a tech stuff Facebook fan page, which is tech stuff HSW as well. So that's all of our places where you can find out more. We update those all the time with not just stuff about the podcast, but just interesting news stories in general, kind of like our take on what's going on in technology at any given time. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for talking with me and everyone be sure to check out all the great work that he's doing over there. Well, that's just about going to bring us to the end of this episode of Geek Cred. But if you've got any questions, comments, or feedback, make your voice heard. Call 818-925-4335 or email geekcred at geekcred.net. You can find the show notes for this episode along with links to the archives, information on how to donate, chat, Facebook, Twitter at geekcred.net slash 43. Thank you so much for listening. That's it for me. So until next time, geek on. Geek, 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 geek